back after a week off. Welcome to this week's episode of What It Really Means. I'm your host, Brad Shepard. Paul, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, Brad. And and I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, we're going to get into big tech censorship. We're also going to get into uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And I, I just want to commend you. I love the name of this podcast. You came up with it, What It Really Means. But I'm not so sure we want to know what's really on Hunter Biden's laptop. I, I, uh, I'm kind of worried. I've read some of the reports. Um, I mean, I think we need to know, but I don't think we want to see it. You know what I mean? I don't think it's going to be pretty at all. Uh, and, and what else isn't pretty is the big tech censorship. And it, it goes beyond, Paul, it goes beyond censorship of a private platform. I mean, this is essentially interfering in a presidential election. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. That's what this is. Uh, and it's really interesting because the entire last four years, we've been told that there was election interference and the social media companies, the you know big tech Silicon Valley, they believe and they have um, furthered this conspiracy theory that Donald Trump somehow cheated by uh, using the resources of the Russian government and Vladimir Putin. Um, and it's just ridiculous. What they believe is that the American people had too much freedom to share ideas, to look at ideas, to uh, to share what they consider misinformation. It's my understanding, matter of fact, that the term fake news was first coined by Hillary Clinton. That's my understanding anyway, because she was trying to stop uh, the information getting around about her secret private email server. And we now know that she cooked up the Russia conspiracy theory to distract from her secret email server and all of the things that foreign governments probably know on her. You talk about, you know, being leveraged, and I know we're going to talk about that later, but this really all goes together. So, yeah, it is election interference. And what we have found once again is that they accuse uh, the Republicans or the people who are, you know, nationalists or the people who just don't want the Democrat platform, they accuse us of. Uh, all of the things that they are, in fact, guilty of. It's called projection, and we're seeing that here. This big tech censorship of, for example, the New York Post story is something that I I can't believe that there are so many journalists, so, some of them that retweeted it initially that then went back and apologized for retweeting it. Uh, and it and, and we know that this is legit. We know that the that the emails are verified. We know that this this it, this does belong to Hunter Biden. And if, and all of the sudden, we've had four years of the media giving us anonymous sources, and all of the sudden they pump the brakes and they say we don't know if these emails are accurate when there's a plethora of more information backing up evidence, backing up the Hunter Biden situation than there is, uh, you know, for the for the Russia conspiracy and all these anonymous government sources that, you know, somebody close to the administration says this. It's absolutely it's absolute nonsense. And something has got to be done about it. I'm sure you saw that today the Department of Justice announced that they were going to pursue antitrust litigation against Google. I think that's a long time coming. Yeah, for sure. It's a long time coming, but I don't think it goes far enough. We talked about uh, potential hearing for Jack, the um, CEO of Twitter, but then that was put on hold. And, and I feel like if we miss this opportunity to hold Facebook, Twitter, the social media monopolies that are operating like a utility, if we lose that opportunity to hold them accountable, then you get what you ask for, right? I mean, you can't rally against this stuff. And then when you have the opportunity, do nothing about it. So I love the Google thing, but I'm concerned that we're suddenly not interested in Facebook and Twitter. When again, I, I think they're clearly interfering in the presidential election. And when we talk about the color revolution as we have, and how that the entire plan, it aligns with big tech. I mean, that's a scary thing when we talk about shutting down people's social media, perhaps even the president, and really silencing any results of the election. 
Yeah, it, it is uh, a frightening thing. Uh, to your point, the you know CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, being subpoenaed, that has been put on hold. I'm looking at a headline here from the Daily Wire uh, from Emily Zanotti. A headline, Senate panel will not vote to subpoena Twitter Facebook CEOs over bias after Republicans object. Now, in this particular story, the Republicans on the Senate committee that uh, object are not named. But we certainly know that Ted Cruz is not one of them. Uh, Josh Hawley of Missouri is not one of them. We can say that, but we don't know who the who the Republicans are that are uncomfortable with this. Now, it is also important to note um, the amount of power we're actually talking about here. I had somebody, a friend of mine on Facebook, they posted about the censorship on Facebook. They posted about the censorship on Twitter and everything else. And they were saying, look, if we make this about the First Amendment, uh, we lose. And because they're, quote, private companies. And um, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but we've got to stop thinking in, in, in that particular way. We have, to, we have to start thinking, uh, what, what, what are the, what's the practical reality? How much power are we talking about? So I, I look at it like this. Imagine you're driving down the road, and imagine uh, you see on a street corner outside your courthouse as you're driving down the road, People who are protesting something. You don't know what it is. It could be anything. They've got picket signs. And imagine you find out that there's some issue, whatever it is. Uh, you know, they're putting up a stoplight where there shouldn't be a stoplight, and there's people protesting. And you, you read a picket sign. You read a message. You are now informed by people who have been in a public space on a public sidewalk where, they're, where it's perfectly legal to be, where the discourse is going on, where the exchange of ideas is going on. And you now have information that you didn't have when you woke up that morning. Now, imagine that there is somebody who has the power, the wizard-like power, if you will, to just mute them, to censor them, to make them invisible when you're going on your commute to your job. That's the kind of power that these companies now have because that's where the public discourse is taking place. And so to just say, well, you know, that we can't do anything about it because they're private companies can prove under foreign influence. They do not support American values. They are uh, m many of them, you know, sold out to the communist Chinese. We're talking there are serious national security implications here, and it needs to be discussed. And we need to articulate what the problem is and, you know. And, and find a solution. And I know Section 230 reform is uh, certainly one of those, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. It is. We want that accountability so that these people can be sued um, so that they are, are essentially forced to allow free speech and, and not censor people's political views. I mean, and it's not just political views or opinions, but political information such as the New York Post story with Biden, just the crackdown on that, slowing down the algorithm, not allowing retweets or, you know, suspending their account, which for about a week now, their account has been suspended. You know, again, it, it's a utility thing to me. And, and the position of libertarians on this in particular is an epic fail. Again, as you talked about that, oh, private company, they can do what they want. That's the kind of approach, that's the kind of strategy that has led to them infiltrating big tech and taking over and censoring us. How many of these companies, you know, have benefited from, uh, you know, government broadband infrastructure and investments and stuff like that? I mean, you know, you can make those arguments. I, I think, you know, the Section 230, whether they're a platform or a publisher, you know, that may be the way to go. But... Uh, it, it, it's a huge deal. The fact that the New York Post, a, you know, a reputable news source. And when I say reputable, I know the other side could argue, no, you know, that's not reputable. But, you know, you would say the New York Times is reputable and I would disagree with that. We can just say established media. Their Twitter account is still banned because they won't retract their story. And we even have the FBI out today confirming they have the laptop. The, the emails are, are, you know, are verified. We have a receipt from Hunter Biden, a signed signature on a work order for Hunter Biden when he dropped it off at the computer repair store. And yet you, you want to censor. And it's, you know, it's because the ends justify the means with these people. They believe they're morally superior to all of us, so they don't have to play by the rules. They want to silence us. We'll talk about more, I'm sure, in later in this program on this podcast, we'll talk more about, you know, what the left does when they want to silence somebody when you talk too long. So, uh, you know, it, it is uh, extremely 
wor- worrisome, um, but it's actually kind of had the opposite effect, Brad. Um, I've got this Zero Hedge article, um, and the headline here is the Streisand effect. Twitter ban on Biden laptop scandal nearly doubled the visibility, according to MIT. I think we're going to see more of this. I think more people saw it because of the censorship. You know, it's just like I've got a three-year-old. It's just like if you say, hey, don't do this one thing that they're not even aware of. Maybe they go outside, hey, hey, be careful. Don't play in that mud over there. Well, they didn't even see the mud. They didn't even notice the mud. You told them not to go play in the mud, and now they're going to play in the mud. So in that sense, again, I said this on the last podcast, these people fall into their own nets, their own schemes somehow work against them, and I'm certainly grateful for it. Yeah, there's no question in my book that they have crossed that threshold into being what we would consider traditional publishers. They're publishing information that they choose to publish. And, you know, I think the time for that accountability is now. I'm very disappointed in Republicans on that. And by the way, release those names. I want to know which elected officials are cucking to big tech. I want to know. So I hope that will be released. But this all ties into the Biden family corruption, as we were just talking about. And is it fair to say this is a candidate more corrupt than Hillary Clinton? Mm, wow. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a tough one there. Um, you know, it may be true just because Biden has really just kind of skated under the radar for so long. And it's really not until he decides to run for president. You know, and there are those people out there. I just want to remind everybody, those people out there that think that Biden ran for president because he knew it would buy him and others like him more time to evade prosecution. Because it doesn't really look good when you're ju- when the president's Justice Department is investigating his political opponent. And that's why they tried to impeach him over it. I-, I would venture a guess that anybody who's taken money under the table from China, from Ukraine, now we find out that Kazakhstan is involved. There are photos with Biden, you know, his business interest in Kazakhstan. Uh, <laughs> and so it goes on and on. Anybody who, any politician in America who's taken money under the table, um, I got to think they want Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee and they want him to be president because we've got, again, people's lives are at stake here of whether or not they're going to be, uh, you know, remain free, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the crime. The crime is extensive. And matter of fact, what we're all skating around here, what what this really means is I've got a headline over uh, at UncoverDC.com. I know a website where you are a contributor, Brad. Uh, Brian Cates has a headline at Uncover DC that says the Bidens have always been a massive national security threat. That's what this comes down to. It comes back to national security. If you've got uh, the sun, uh, vice president, if you've got the, the Joe Biden himself and the Chinese have all of this incriminating dirt, and again, we still don't know what else is on that laptop, but you are going to be compromised from a foreign policy standpoint. And that's that's what we know. We know that Joe Biden was is on tape. He is on tape saying, look, if you don't fire the prosecutor who happened to be investigating the company that his son was on the board of making 50 or $80,000, whatever the number keeps changing, $80,000 a month, then you're not getting a billion dollars. You realize what that is? A billion dollars to the economy of a country the size of Ukraine is it just might as well be their entire country. I mean, it, it would bankrupt. It would it would destroy the economy of Ukraine if they don't get that billion dollars from the United States. So you have Joe Biden, who's essentially saying, I'm going to destroy your country if you don't fire this prosecutor. And he's on tape admitting it because I guess his uh, his dementia, his, you know, the memes out there, Joe Biden for resident yeah, of a nursing home. I guess it was still kind of he was just he, you shut up, Joe. What are you doing, Joe? Um, he admitted it. It's right there. And and we know that Biden also was on a plane, Air Force Two, with his dad to China and then walks away with the multi or a uh, over a billion dollar deal. This is you're compromised. You are you're absolutely compromised. We can't trust you to represent American interests. 
And uh, the, the China one is really the one that I think is the most uh, dangerous. It's, it, and, you know, the Ukraine's bad, but the, the one in the, the stuff surrounding China is seriously bad. And it's pretty obvious if you just take a thousand, you know, you step a thousand feet back and look at this, Donald Trump is trying to get this Chinese threat under control, whether it's with the trade war or the economic imbalance, even the military, you know, they are advancing in the South China Sea. And then you have Biden, who loves the Chinese government. And we also have to remember at the same time, they're communists. And we also know that socialism is just microwave communism. And the Democrat Party is fully embracing socialism. It really is a stark contrast. If you just forget what the media is making you think or trying to get you to think and just look at those basic facts. Yeah, it, it's a stark contrast. And, you know, to your point, Joe Biden is completely compromised and he's compromised with our biggest enemy in China. That's indisputable at this point. What we know is that he allowed the use of his office as vice president to enrich his son. We know that. What I want to know is, is he the big guy? That's what I want to know. Is he the one getting the kickbacks that is mentioned in the emails? And I think he owes America an answer on that. Is that fair? Yeah, it absolutely is fair. He has to answer that. Reporters should be doing their job demanding that he answer those questions. Uh, we are. We also have a text message from, uh, you know, that Rudy Giuliani's put out there that, you know, now we have you using your office and using your son and everybody should start asking at the at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, the news media should be asking why it's legal for the children of politicians to take money from foreign governments, period. Whether it, take the Democrat and Republican out of it for a second, just ask that question. Be like, that should be front page news. How many Americans know that? That the foreign governments can pay the, the children of prominent American politicians? That's insane. And yet it's not news because the Democrats have the most to lose here. President Trump and the American people have the most to gain. And so uh, we're not hearing about it. Uh, the Daily Caller article, exclusive, Giuliani reveals why he's slowly releasing these Hunter Biden files. I mentioned the the text message, and it's pretty obvious. I, I said this a few days ago to some friends, and and now I'm you know kind of seeing headlines at it. He's he, people have I, I saw some headlines criticizing Giuliani. Why haven't you turned everything over yet? Well, because this is October before, before an election. That's why, <laughs> and he wants the campaign to deny. He wants the campaign to address this deny it, and then he releases a little bit more that catches him in a lie. And then they say something else, and then he releases a little bit more. That's what this is, what, what's going on here. But I think between now and Thursday, when the debate happens, we're going to know even more. We're going to know, I hope, something so massive that even the corrupt debate commission will have to ask about these allegations. And now that Rudy Giuliani has turned over Hunter Biden's hard drive to Delaware State Police, Due to pictures of underage girls in inappropriate text messages. Wow. Well, there you go. There is no telling how deep this rabbit hole goes. But one thing is for sure, Joe Biden owes every voter, every American, an answer on this. Not asking him what flavor milkshake he got. But forcing the issue. And when he refuses to answer, you continue to ask and you cover this information. And, and I think the most concerning thing about the entire story is just the systematic censorship by the mainstream media and the Democrat Party working together to silence one of the biggest stories in political history. And it truly is startling. It's scary. And everybody should be paying attention to that. Here's another observation too, Brad. Any time you know something comes up like this, <clears throat> where we have this foreign influence, the Democrats bring back up the Russia hoax. Okay, they are trying to say now 
that the Hunter Biden laptop and the emails and everything we know so far that is Russian disinformation. Okay, and just like we had Hillary Clinton being like seventeen U.S. intelligence agencies are, you know, they're doing the same thing now. We have the, a Politico article that presented no new evidence. By the way, a Politico article with no new evidence. Uh, citing a, a a letter with 50 former senior intelligence officers saying that this has all the ha- hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Now, listen, I don't want to go to war with Russia. Uh, I think if Hillary Clinton had been elected, we would have been in a proxy war in Syria. I don't think Russia has necessarily benign intentions. I can classify them as somebody we need to keep an eye on. But you won't hear anyone on the left say the same thing about China. You will not hear it. And my, my question is why? Why? I, can I as somebody who is clearly on the right side of the political spectrum, I can be suspicious of Russia and also be suspicious of China, and those two don't conflict. But for some reason, any, on the left— if you, it's like a, it's like a, a you know, you got to think that Russia is, you know, some, some sort of Soviet Union era threat and we can't ever talk about China. And I think it's because they're taking money from China. I think there's so many of our politicians taking money from the Chinese. I think it's going to be shocking when we finally get to the bottom of this. Oh, I agree. And we've talked about how far China has infiltrated America, whether it's American big tech or the Hollywood industry, even. There's no question that they have infiltrated our weak politicians who have no morals. That's not a surprise at all. And I completely agree. I think that's what it is. But then you have total clowns, people that should be thrown out of office, like Adam Schiff. And and every minute he gets, he yells Russia. Adam Schiff is a disgrace to Congress. He's a disgrace to all elected officials. He went out and intentionally said something that's not true. And he wasn't the only one. Now, the DNI director, Ratcliffe, has said, by the way, this is not Russian disinformation. And the FBI agrees with that. Now, keep in mind, the Biden campaign has not denied these emails are legitimate, neither has Hunter. So I don't know about you. But if these kind of accusations are getting out, right, and, and it wasn't me, and again, their lawyer requested the, the laptop back, so it, it's definitely them. <laughs> but don't you think a simple denial uh, would suffice? The point being is it's an accepted truth at this point that the emails are real, right? The laptop is his, the emails are real, and now we're finding out a lot of very... Uh, concerning information. Yeah, uh, and they're doing everything they can to keep people from reading it. Yet more people are reading it, and then they call in the same familiar players. And because we have such a dishonest media, Adam Schiff is a proven liar. And he, you you say he's a disgrace, and he is. But he 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 came out after the Devin Nunes memo came out. You know the the permanent House Select Committee on Intelligence. They come out with their memo. They highlight everything that we know now to be true about what happened to the Trump campaign, uh, that they didn't find Russia collusion between the Trump campaign, but they did find it between you know the DNC. And Adam Schiff releases his memo. That contradicts it all. We now know because of the Mueller report and everything that Devin Nunes' memo was correct. Adam Schiff intentionally lied just for political reasons, just to you know keep the 24-hour news cycle, to cover his own skin in all probability. And Yet they'll still bring him on TV and now say, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is classic, you know, Russian disinformation about Hunter Biden when it's it's as real as the sky being blue. And that's what's so frustrating is they they don't ever want to admit what the truth is. It's such a threat to them. They hate the president so much. And they're trying their best to stop stop the corruption that they have all participated in coming to light. They are everything and more what they say we are, what they say Trump is. I'm looking forward to election day. I really am. I'm looking forward to November 3rd, the night of November 3rd. 
I am optimistic. I think we're going to know who the victor is. I really do, um, because I'm hoping the American people send a clear message that this has got to stop. Well, that's a good point. I mean, this is almost a replay of 2016 in a way when you talk about Hillary's emails and you've got Chris Cuomo on CNN saying it's illegal if you read these emails after they were released. <laughs> yeah. So they, once again, are trying to intentionally suppress information that would help you form a decision on who to vote for. But I, th I, I think the scary thing here, Paul, I have to say is, you know, some people are calling this a smoking gun, but I'm not sure. First of all, the framing is is probably intentionally being presented as Hunter Biden's emails, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. But people don't want to hear about Hunter Biden in cocaine. People want to hear about Joe Biden using his office to help Hunter Biden. And that's what the emails discuss. So I think a lot of times the mainstream media, how they're framing this in the coverage we've received is all Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden's emails, Hunter Biden's laptop. But Hunter Biden isn't running for office. So you have to frame it in a way that helps you understand the bigger picture. Yes, it's Hunter Biden's emails, but it, it's proving that Joe Biden was selling his office. And, and I think that framing is important to helping the average person understand the significance of this. But I do think there is a portion of the Democrat Party that, frankly, don't care. I think they're going to vote for Joe Biden if Joe Biden kills someone. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think you're right about that. Um, they believe that the president is a threat and he's somebody that uh, never needs to happen to America again. In the meantime, you have millions of Americans and, and I think this number is increasing every day that realize, and I, I've seen the meme, but it's true. The only guy that's between us uh, and them is President Trump. He's the one standing up for um, for what's right in these situations. And I know I know there's you know context is everything, but we had no idea um, how corrupt this country had become. And I'm thankful every day that Hillary Clinton did not win because if she did, we would know none of this and the American people would suffer because of it. So we've got a, a lot to be thankful for. And we just got to make sure um, those of you out there listening, wherever you're listening from, if you know of somebody, especially in a battleground state, just make sure they vote. You may be in a safe state that's going to go for Trump uh, 100%. But if you know somebody who is in a battleground state, call them, make sure they go vote. Yeah, absolutely. Getting out the vote is so important, especially as we've talked about. It's a base election. Got to get out and vote. And if you don't, your taxes are going to be raised. They are going to attempt to pack the Supreme Court. That's very obvious. They are going to make D.C. and Puerto Rico a state. They are going to implement Marxist socialist policies. They are going to ruin American traditions and Western civilization. We can't allow this to happen. Um, and as we know, Joe Biden is not going to last four years. This is a Kamala Harris presidency. Kamala, or should I say Kamala? <laughs> ah, I'm such a sexist. <clears throat> uh, Kamala Harris. It's a Kamala Harris presidency. Uh, so you have to keep those things in mind. And she is the most liberal senator in Congress. And as we know, she will do anything to obtain power. So it's a very, very delicate, dangerous situation, potentially, if they're elected. So you have to get out and vote like your life depends on it. Have to. There are some people uh, now uh, voting for Trump. They're calling them, I think, the, the never Trump, Trump supporter now. And it's because the left has gone so, so crazy. Uh, during these four years, um, I, I saw a tweet that was out there by a guy by the name of uh, Sexy James Lindsay. And uh, he links to a story over at newrepublic.com 
a piece entitled The Constitution in Crisis. And in that piece, it says this, quote, the American left should work toward abolishing the Constitution someday, either for a new document or a new democratic order without a written Constitution. You know, like two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. And uh, this guy named uh, Sexy James Lindsay, um, titles are cheap on Twitter, folks, uh, says, frankly, going to unhappily vote Republican, including Trump, until the left walks this expletive all the way back. And the interesting thing here is like, okay, that's just one tweet. But I started looking at some of the comments, Brad, uh, of people replying, and it was extremely hopeful to me of the people who do, who are in the middle, they're in the political middle, but they do understand how dangerous it is when the left is now saying that certain words are the equivalent to actual violence. And I think people can look 10 steps ahead. I think they are looking 10 steps ahead and they are deciding that the democratic platform and the, the, the radical left in this country are anti-American. They do not believe in the ideals uh, that uh, started this country, and the idea of freedom of expression is one of them. And you have uh, people saying, you know, there's been a, a slew of Democrats on the left, I think Keith Olbermann, Robert Reich, uh, saying that we're going to have to have, if Biden wins, essentially the equivalent of revenge tribunals. Or, uh, you know, they might as well say re-education camps. They want to make sure that if they win this, that, that the people that supported Trump these four years have to pay for, for doing this. They want a social cost for uh, the way we think. And there are people in the middle, I think more than the media is ever going to tell you, that recognize this for what it is, and they know it's not American, and they are going to vote for Trump and uh, hold their nose. Now, I'm voting for Trump, and I'm not holding my nose. But <laughs> there are some that are. And, you know, when it comes down to it on election night, that's all that matters. How many people voted, you know, for Trump? That's all that's, that's the only thing that's going to matter. I do have uh, friends and family that are going to hold their nose and vote for Donald Trump. I'm not one of them. Obviously, I voted for President Trump already. No nose holding needed. But... I think there's something to what you said with that. Um, you know, people realize that this radical left agenda is giving them no choice but to vote for Donald Trump. And maybe they don't like his demeanor or his mean tweets, but they realize there's something larger at stake here. Now, ben Shapiro did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016, now says he's going to for 2020. For that very reason, this radical left, it's a scary thing when we talk about the corruption of the Democrat Party. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, many people uh, are going down really the same thing. You either have people who are really wanting Trump, uh, they're, they're huge fans of Trump, or you have people who understand that the those on the left, uh, if they get what they want, it's not going to be good for your kids, it's not going to be good to, uh, for uh, you know the, the future of the country, you know, basic freedoms uh, like uh, the freedom of thought, the freedom of expression. They are totalitarians, and they want total agreement on every issue. If you step out of line one time, it doesn't mean doesn't matter if you were you know down with the cause for decades before. If you now differ on one thing, one thing, you're now canceled. You're now over. That scares a lot of people. I was talking to somebody today, who uh, you know she was she's a young uh, she's like 24 years old. She said she's terrified of of cancel culture. She doesn't even go on social media anymore because she doesn't want anything to ever come back and haunt her. Uh, these are the issues that a lot of people are paying attention to. And it's, I think Trump has broad appeal thanks to the radical left and their, uh, you know, their wacko, insane anti-American ideas. Well, it's definitely a culture war and Trump is fighting that. And I think people recognize that, right. And who wants to be on the side of eight year olds choosing their gender and taking, um, body enhancing drugs, I mean, it's it's complete insanity. You know, I know we're about to get into the town halls, but that happened. That happened in the town hall. Uh, you, you know, you had the, the two town halls, the dueling town halls, and, and Biden gets this question 
uh, from a, a mom talking about her eight year old transgender. And he shows, you know what? He is down with the cause. Yeah. I mean, who, who, you know, the Democrat party, the party of giving kids drugs that suppress your hormones so that, you know, uh, you can grow breasts. It, it's really, truly remarkable. It's scary. Uh, you know, and when you look at the dueling town halls that Trump and Biden had, and the contrast between the two was significant. You had George Stephanopoulos hosting Joe Biden's town hall. He received a question from the audience within the first minute. And by the way, the audience contained actual Democrat operatives. This was a classic left-wing setup for Joe Biden. Uh, George Stephanopoulos wasn't really going to challenge Joe Biden on anything. But even when you don't challenge Joe Biden, he says radical things like eight-year-olds choosing their gender or packing the Supreme Court leading to a constitutional crisis. And by contrast, you saw Savannah Guthrie hosting uh, Donald Trump in his town hall and what that really was was a debate, not a town hall. It was uh, the first 20 minutes. It was literally a debate between Guthrie and Trump. There was no question from the audience until 20 minutes into the town hall, which was only an hour long. So I think the contrast was huge. But I think Donald Trump actually really took advantage of that. He thrived on that. I think it was very obvious to the viewers that he was in a debate with the actual host of this town hall. It was just incredible. But I thought Donald Trump did really well. Uh, I, I thought he got out some of his policies, and he defended himself very nicely. Uh, and, and I thought he did a good job. I mean, they asked the, oh, Jesus, the white supremacy question again. Again. Yeah, that was uh, that was ridiculous, um, and I'm sure <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna hear it asked uh, probably again later this week. You know, uh, do you denounce white supremacy? I I think to your point, Brad, it was a good night for Trump because it was obvious he was debating uh, the moderator or you know Samantha Guthrie, and and it was obvious that the press is stacked against him. People in the middle, that's transparent to people in the middle. I I gotta think. And they, they're living in this bubble where they think they're these arbiters of truth that are fighting back against the orange man, and they don't understand that they, they don't look like they're standing for truth. They look like they're, they're partisan liberal hacks, and it's, it's obvious. Um, so I think it was, it was very good. Also, you had that lady in the background. I don't know if you saw that. There's a lady in the background whenever time, anytime the camera cut to Trump and she was nodding when Trump would explain <laughs> his answers. And people were on, on Twitter saying that, you know, she was the, the hero of the debate. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was stacked against uh, the president for sure. Um, and uh, a huge contrast from George Snuffleupagus. And, uh, you know, the, it was essentially, you know, like interviewing your grandpa uh, from the nursing home. You know, it's how you would ask the questions. You know, you got to be very slow and very deliberate and, you know, give him a lot of the benefit of the doubt. You know, if he's wrong on this or and he had, he, I think Biden had notes where he was trying to remember uh, a, a dollar amount and, you know, he had to look at his notes and he still got, still fumbled, still got it wrong. You know, when you're talking to your grandma or your grandmother or your grandpa or whatever in a nursing home, you're, you're, you're running for resident, not president. When you're doing that, uh, you know, you, you cut them some slack. You know, if they, if they miss a figure here or there, you're like, yeah. You know, he's old, you know, give, give the guy a break. That's that's what George Snuffleupagus did to uh, Joe Biden. It was truly a sight to see. And Joe Biden's notes, the fact that he needed notes, again, the contrast with Donald Trump, who didn't need notes. And Joe Biden is fumbling around to answer questions with literal notes that, you know, have probably just been written for him, honestly. I mean, this is next level incompetent and not ready to serve in office. You know, I, I thought if you're a Joe Biden fan, this was probably perfectly fine. Uh, I, I thought this played well for President Trump overall. But man, the message of Joe Biden, eight-year-olds choosing their gender, packing the Supreme Court. Uh, this guy is a disaster. Um, yeah, he, he is. And again, um, they thought he was they, they pick him because they wanted him to be, you know, kind of like, well, he's going to be a moderate. You know, he's Joe Biden. He's moderate, but he doesn't take moderate positions. 
And and that's because uh, you mentioned earlier this is a base election. They got to fire up the base, um, and and it, they're not doing that right now. Matter of fact, they've got a. Uh, I think they're going to have some real issues with early voting. I know the Democrats are doing well in early voting, you know, compared to Republicans, but they're not hitting the margins they need to hit from the research that I'm seeing. And then you're going to have a huge problem with these battleground states that have universities that are not open. The kids are not there, so they're not going to be voting, and they're not going to be susceptible to the messages from their liberal professors and from all these get-out-the-vote efforts. Uh, You know, you got to go vote. You got to go vote. They're not hearing that as much. Now, there may be Zoom classes going on where they're, you know, they're gonna they're gonna tell you how to fill out your mail-in ballot and that sort of thing. But I honestly think that may ha- be happening because I don't know if these young 18, 19 year old kids know how to mail a letter. I don't know if they know how to use the post office, Brad. And so I, I think this mail-in bo- voting thing could work against the Democrats just as much as it could work for them when it comes to voter fraud. Well, it definitely could. I, I think there's no question about it. You know. It's really incredible that we're at where we're at. I, I guess I just hope that common sense Americans see it for what it is. I mean, this is insanity. And just imagine, just imagine if Joe Biden gets elected, Joe Biden won't serve a four-year term. You'll have a President Kamala Harris. And when you do, You'll have Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, the two radical California liberals, bringing San Francisco everywhere across the country. <laughs> Let's hope not the feces. The feces, the urine, yeah. the homelessness, the crime, the typhoid, I, you know, <laughs> the, you know, down in L.A., uh, they were worried because the homeless situation was so bad, you know, that the, uh, the bubonic plague might come back. Yeah. Let, let's hope California values do not spread across the rest of the country. Um, and, you know, the idea, again, that uh, Kamala extract Harris uh, is even in the ba- in the debate. Um, uh, or I'm sorry, is even a candidate, is even vice president, when she couldn't even do well in the primary, she was rejected, she had to drop out, is just unbelievable to me. Um, I, I don't understand how they can, they can do that with a straight face. The FBI had this Hunter Biden laptop back in 2019. They had this Hunter Biden laptop during impeachment. Okay, so the president, the president was impeached for asking a question about Joe Biden, while the FBI has the emails that prove what the president was saying is true. And if Christopher Ray, the FBI director, doesn't have a good answer, I know your article over at UncoverDC.com uh, from last month about firing Christopher Ray, this will just add to that, uh, add to the pros list for getting rid of him. If he doesn't have a good answer for that, Bernie Sanders would be the Democratic nominee more than likely if the information on that laptop would have been made public, uh, you know, during the impeachment. No and question. So it, it, if you're, if you actually are a Democrat, they just, they just, uh, they take you for granted. They do not really want you to have a voice. They just want you to agree with the party line. Um, and they also want you to take, um, how to do a zoom meeting with, uh, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be careful out there, folks. Uh, uh, be careful when you zoom, guys. That's you've got to be careful. Take Jeffrey Tubin's uh, word for it. And in maybe in Jeffrey's case, he had to do a lot of zooming. But uh, yeah. you know, it, it's um, what a bizarre thing that is. By the way, as a side note, uh, Jeffrey Tubin and the defensive of his actions by Brian Stelter and the CNN network and uh, all those personalities on CNN. It was very bizarre. Uh, talking about how Tubin was pulled during a critical part of the election for a simple mistake. He didn't realize the video was on. Well, this this wasn't a guy who was changing clothes or coming out of the shower. This was a guy in a work call who was flogging his dolphin. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, especially when you put it like that, Brad, it's pretty gross. But, uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey Tubin, the legal analyst for CNN, and I don't I think he's just he's suspended from The New Yorker, but I think he's still getting paid by CNN uh, right now. He's just not going to be on for a while. You know, I guess he's going to have to rethink his life. By the way, this is the same Jeffrey Tubin that 
slept with one of his colleagues' daughter and then tried to get her to have an abortion. He's also the same Jeffrey Tubin that couldn't stand Andrew Breitbart, uh, particularly when Andrew Breitbart was breaking the Anthony Weiner story. Not the Anthony Weiner laptop story of 2016, but the Anthony Weiner story, the original, when he was uh, sexting on Twitter, uh, uh, you know, a girl, and then he claimed he was hacked, and then he even claimed that Breitbart must have hacked him, and that's when Andrew Breitbart gave his famous press conference that was supposed to be for Anthony Weiner, and the balls on Andrew Breitbart to just be at the airport covering the press conference, and Andrew Breitbart just decides to get up to the podium and conduct the press conference and he, they start asking him questions it was one of the greatest <laughs> moments in media in my lifetime not to mention i got to you know he, hear andrew breibart speak in person and he's famous in my mind for saying if you can't sell freedom and liberty you suck and boy uh, was that not a, a a message the fact that freedom and liberty now are considered anathema to the left uh, and they're doing everything they can to stop freedom and liberty and and we are over here and we've we've got to make people realize, you know, the benefits of a free society, the benefit, the be, the benefits of an educated citizenry being indispensable to the, uh, you know, the freedom of the republic. I can't. That's a botched Thomas Jefferson quote, but, um, yeah, really, uh, really, I have no sympathy for Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's war, uh, and I think it's an appropriate time to play this clip from the great yes. Andrew Breitbart. Yes. All the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist, you're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's, fuck you. War. It, it's so true. Um, the great Andrew Breitbart, it, it's a war, it's a culture war. Uh, that we're fighting here, and that's why this election is so important. Let's shift gears to the Commission on Presidential Debates. What a dumpster fire this operation is. Uh, from the failed Chris Wallace uh, moderator uh, just you know tag-teaming with Joe Biden uh, to Susan Page's uh, interruptions of Vice President Mike Pence it's it's really astounding that Republicans have allowed this. And when you look at the current co-chair of the debate commission, Frank Ferenkoff, um, he's a sitting board member also and co-founder of IRI, the International Republican Institute. And it really just kind of offers insight into the type of Republican he is uh, and the balance that his chairmanship uh, provides. And that's anti-Trump. Right. I mean, people get it twisted that he is Republican, but you have to keep the context of this is not Republican versus Democrat necessarily. This is establishment versus non-establishment. So there is that uh, establishment Democrat and Republican alignment. His colleagues on the IRI board include Lindsey Graham, H.R. McMaster and Mitt Romney. You know, it's clear what type of Republican this organization caters to. Um, so, you know, and, and, and by the way, the IRI is a top color revolution propaganda outfit. Uh, Paul, we've talked about the color revolution on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but the IRI was run by Never Trump neocon John McCain for decades. Also, by the way, it was closely linked to the discredited Steele dossier at the center of the Russia hoax. So I think this this is very insightful to just from the top up, the leadership and the intent behind these uh, debates. Yeah, you have um, you have the debate commission that exists to essentially promote fake news. And it's not just any fake news. It's just it's fake news that they've spent years parroting and supporting. So it has to be true. So every question has a pretext that's false. It's based on fake news, phony reporting. And it's, it's you know, respected by journalists. They get journalists to, you know, be the moderators. And there's peer pressure there, right? You've got to promote the fake narrative. You've got to base your questions around the fake narrative or we're going to look down on you and your profession. So there's a lot of peer pressure there. And just in general, the type of, Republicans that this organization caters to, to your point, Brad, are people who have actually had to pay a cost 
or Trump being in the White House. That cost is in the past. Let's just take it in the past. The Republican would be in the, 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 the presidency and would find excuses to not execute the policies they promised the voters, the platform they promised the voters. So these Republicans, in name only, could go to the D.C. cocktail parties, could mingle with the leftists, could mingle with the radicals, could mingle with the big money, and they were friends because they weren't actually doing anything. They were just essentially controlled opposition. But now they really hate Trump, and they have an interest in advancing the fake news because they're now looked down upon because they have a guy in the White House in Donald Trump who's actually delivering on what the Republicans have failed to deliver on for decades. And it's really uncomfortable for them. They don't like it. Again, it's peer pressure. They don't like having to defend him. They don't defend him. And so that's why they're never Trumpers. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, if you're a rhino at this point, you're likely a never Trumper for the most part. And it's uh, it, the debate commission needs to be dissolved. And the Steve Scully thing is an embarrassment. Uh, you know, the emperor has no clothes, but let's all pretend like he does. Uh. Jeez. It's actually the funniest thing to me that happened all this, this entire debate cycle is Steve Scully saying, I, my Twitter was hacked for for one tweet that was just like, hey, should I respond to the president? What a moron. Like, what a complete disgrace and moron. But that, that's, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe the Tubin thing is better now that I think about it, uh, uh, <laughs> relatively speaking, I guess. But, um, yeah, the debate commission needs to be resolved. And this, the, the next um, moderator on Thursday locked her Twitter account down when the Steve Scully situation broke because she didn't want any of us going and researching her radicalism, her activism. She's, I mean, these people are hacks. They are hacks. They advance fake news. Uh, I think I said earlier, you know, that fake news was originally coined by Hillary Clinton and the irony that Donald <laughs> Trump then said, no, 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 you're fake news. You're fake news. Um, and so anyway, yeah, the debate commission needs to be done away with. This is a joke at this point. Uh, journalism is dead. I'm hoping that when Donald Trump gets a second term, there's going to be a renaissance in journalism, in entertainment, including music, film. I, I'm really hoping that. I've got very high hopes for that because I think um, I think a lot of people are going to be exposed for who they are, and it's, uh, it's not going to be a pretty picture. Like I said in the beginning, the podcast is called What It Really Means, but do we really want to see what's on Hunter Biden's laptop? Uh, great point. You know, Steve Scully— Obvious, obvious, you know, total lie. And, you know, to me, that really signified how they just didn't care. They were going to lie right to your face. It was an obvious lie and it didn't matter. They believed they could get away with it because they always do. And, and so that was really revealing to me. It was a total disgrace, obviously. Uh, and, and the amount of Republicans that came out and defended this guy. Come on, uh, you know, spare me. So they're looking pretty foolish today, but the entire thing is just a crap show. It has to change. Uh, by the way, if I ever tweet anything offensive, I was hacked. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> me too. Me too. Hashtag. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> I was hacked. Um, I'm going to pull a Steve Scully. So uh, <laughs> let's shift gears to uh, our closing topic here, the final debate preview Trump and Biden and uh, what we think the strategies for both candidates will need to be to have a successful debate. Let's start off with Joe Biden. And Paul, what do you think Joe Biden has to do to have a successful debate? Um, pretty much no one's mind is going to be changed, I don't think, by this. Um, uh, so I think Joe Biden just needs to outperform the expectations. Those expectations are rock bottom, um, basically the basement so uh, as long as he just doesn't have any major gaffes or, you know, have, a, a, I, I, I don't know, just a, a terrible, you know, accident or something. I, yeah, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? I mean, he's just he's he's got significant mental decline. And again, the emperor has no clothes in this situation as well. Everyone pretends like this guy is, you know, uh, ha has all of his faculties about him and he doesn't. So when he comes out on stage and the drugs work for an hour and a half, everybody's like, wow, Joe's our guy. He can be president. He can be the leader of the free world. That's really all he has to do. The man just has to show up and not, you know, uh, pee his pants, I guess. I, I, you know, that's pretty much. Now, 
so that's that's my Joe Biden take. Uh, and I will say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on this in a minute. But the debate commission um, has done what the left does, and they've added a mute button so they can silence the microphone. Um, that actually might work against Joe Biden, um, because if Trump is muted, Joe Biden is talking. And the longer he talks, uh, the more tired he gets and the more he's likely to say something ridiculous. Uh, so uh, but that's my take on Joe Biden. What's yours? Well, I think Joe Biden in the scenario is interesting because, you know, from a policy standpoint, what does he really say that's going to register? Um, I don't know, because, again, his tax policy is a disaster. He's trying this phony America first routine, which is a repeat of Trump's platform, which Trump is actually doing. And mm-hmm. in, in his 47 years in elected office, Joe Biden has done the opposite. He sold us out to China. So it's hard from a policy standpoint. You know, he voted for the Iraq war. He wants to keep troops in Afghanistan. How do you uh, how do you mitigate that, you know, in a, in a debate? So I think he's got to stay light on policies. And. Just keep repeating the false narratives, uh, pre-existing conditions, a lie, uh, very fine people, that hoax. He has to repeat these things, which would insult the intelligence of, a, of an informed person, right? Um, yeah. But that's the only strategy I can see Joe Biden taking here. Because he hasn't given a lot of substance on policy. And again, some of his policies, I think, are very unpopular. The Green New Deal, uh, his potential flip-flop on fracking. So I think the more he talks, I agree with you, uh, the more in trouble he is. And conversely, I think President Trump has some real opportunities here. What do you think his strategy should be? Okay, so kind of piggybacking off what you said, it just kind of dawned on me. Donald Trump has stolen the girlfriend of the left. You know, he's, he stole their girlfriend on being anti-war. He stole their girlfriend on standing up for blue-collar working, uh, uh, you know, Americans. And they, they can't stand him for it. So I, I do think he needs – President Trump needs to hammer this. Uh, he needs to kind of you – know, a lot of moderates still remember that the Democrats were the, you know, anti-foreign entanglement party – um, you know, like the whole time I was in like junior, junior high school and high school. And so I, I think that would be a, a big win for Trump on policy. And then, of course, covering the economy. Just a quick side note, the debate commission adding the mute button. We all know that's for president, the president. We all know they, they can't stand him. We all know they want to silence him. And that's exactly what the left does when they can't compete. They want to silence because they're totalitarians at this point. I think it's going to backfire tremendously if you're at home. And the president of the United States, your president, is trying to talk, and they cut him off. It's going to make people even angrier, and it's going to reveal the entire thing as being farce, as being some sort of journalistic theater, and it's not going to be real. And the media may get accolades from the left and accolades from the from the you know the pop culture. We're so glad you silenced them. You know they really want to see that. They really want to see. Uh, like a, a a deus machina type presence that can just, no pun intended, just trump Trump. You know they they want to see that oh, somebody's just you know somebody's going to do something and and finally correct him and they that's why they want the mute button. But the rest of the country, they're going to see this for what it is, un-American. It is un-American, Brad, to silence your political opponent, and uh, so that's going to work to Trump's advantage. Yeah, I tend to agree as well. I mean, obviously, this is a debate. Um, So speaking, debating should be encouraged. And you're right. I think the optics of it are going to be really bad if President Trump is making an important point and he is muted. Again, this is a very clear decision, which is really made to censor President Trump during this final debate. And I think it's also telling in a way of the future of the radical left. If they don't want you to speak, if they don't want to hear what you have to say, they're going to censor you, be it a mute button, be it social media, uh, be it through the legal system. This is what censorship looks like. And I think it's a dangerous thing. 
Now, what President Trump has to do is talk about some of his big wins. Again, you talk about the stealing the girlfriend analogy. Talk about bringing troops home and ending the wars in the Middle East. That's a big win. Talk about the economy before the China virus and the recovery that's being made. That's a big win. There are so many things he can talk about, but he has to talk about the most corrupt administration history. The Obama-Biden administration, he has to talk about them spying on his campaign, and more importantly, he has to talk about the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden pay-for-play using his office to enrich his son and potentially himself. This has got to be talked about. And as we know, foreign policy was not on a single debate. This is largely topics that were discussed in the first debate. Foreign policy has historically been part of the debate format. It was dropped off. I wonder why. Mm -hmm. Just one more example of how the left operates. They want to cover up the truth in corruption. So they're not going to let you talk about it. Well, President Trump will have two minutes. And he has got to make it a point. When he's asked a question, he has already answered. Summarize it and quickly go on offensive, challenging Joe Biden, what he knew. Is he the big guy? Did he receive kickbacks from Hunter Biden? And the money he made through the access of Joe Biden's position as vice president. Those questions have to come up. And I think they will. I completely agree. Um, <clears throat> we're not, we don't have a Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, after the September 11th Benghazi attacks, Susan Rice, the Obama administration, blamed it on a video, had phony talking points. Mitt Romney in the third debate, which was on foreign policy again. Remember, folks, this is not a new concept. They're changing the rules because they don't want uh, Biden to lose. Mitt Romney is famously criticized, rightfully so, for not bringing up Benghazi, not bringing up the lies in the foreign policy debate. And we don't have that this time around. So it's a new scandal. There's more stuff that's come out already about it. Uh, As we've been recording this podcast about what's on this laptop of Hunter Biden's, uh, it's a national security issue. I think the president is going to bring it up as well, Brad. Yeah, Joe Biden's been selling his office. And the best way for President Trump to label that in the debate is to call Joe Biden a national security risk. You have to use that phrase And that's what he is, by the way. If some IT worker at a local computer shop had access to the emails that we're now finding out about, how many emails or how much information does China have or other adversaries already? Can he be blackmailed? Is this, you know, this is really dangerous territory. Um, So you've got to label him as a national security risk in the debate. Format it that way. I think it'll work. I I totally agree. Um, That's what he is. And just like Hillary Clinton with her secret server, uh, we know that her emails were being forwarded to, um, uh, I I guess, let's see, they were being forwarded to a province in China, I think in 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 the Shandong province somewhere, to a company. A uh, Chinese uh, company that's backed by the Communist Chinese Party. It's 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 the same thing. You talk about being compromised, you know. Uh, and and again, I can sit here and tell you right now, as somebody who's firmly on the right, I think that we need to keep an eye on Russia. Don't want to go to war with Russia, but I don't trust Russia. But I also don't trust the Chinese. You can't find anybody on the left that'll condemn both. They'll, they'll only condemn Russia and try to make you think that Donald Trump is a Russian agent, but they never, they're just like the NBA. They never talk anything about China, never bad. How many politicians are like Joe Biden that have taken money from the communist Chinese? How many? I think the answer is going to be mind blowing. I completely agree. And you get lunatics like Adam Schiff yelling, Russia, Russia. And what we've seen is in fact, the mayor of Moscow paying three and a half million to Hunter Biden 
So again, it's accusing the other party of what you're actually doing. It's actually incredible. Um, and you have to give Democrats credit through this corruption. The way they're able to lockstep together on corruption and the most hateful of actions, supporting them, defending them, promoting them, and get away with it and do it right to your face. I mean, that takes a lot of balls. <laughs> and, and it's time for, you know, Republicans. It's time for the right wing to get some of those balls and play that same game. Uh, because they could learn a few things from the way Democrats, in particular, that radical element operates. Yeah, I mean, for far too long, we've had people that, you know, talk a good game, but they don't ever execute. And I think it's because they were playing for the other team the whole time. And that's now more apparent than ever. And so I think at the core, we need people that are honest and that they they say what they believe and then they don't make excuses. They don't lie to you when they campaign. They They say what they believe and then they execute it to the best they can. They represent you the, the, the way they said they would in a campaign trail. They don't come back to you with all these excuses. Um, honesty right now, I think, is, is the best policy moving forward. I agree. Well, that's all the time we have this week. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Paul, where can our listeners follow you on social media? It's uh, Paul Harrell 1776, H-A-R-R-E-L-L, Paul Harrell 1776 on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Brad Shepherd. That's S H E P A R D. Please don't forget to subscribe. Rate our podcast five stars if you enjoy it and spread the word of what we're doing. Until next week, be good to yourselves and one another. <laughs>